turn in your copy of the Scriptures, if you would, or scroll in your Bible app to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 18. Luke, chapter 18. Luke 18, looking at verse 15 and following. Luke, chapter 18, verses 15, 16, and 17. If you are physically able... Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word and follow along silently as I read aloud from the gospel of Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. This is what the word of God says. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such Belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, Last week we finished Luke chapter 18. However, if you've been keeping score from your seat, you may have noticed that as we went through This chapter over the past several weeks, we skipped verses 15, 16, and 17, which we just read, and saved them for today, which is Mother's Day. The text we just read comes after Jesus' telling of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So that's an important piece of context for us to remember. And so as we look at this text, let's just read through that again together really quickly. So pick it up in verse 11 so we could see what's going on in this portion of Scripture that's leading us into this text that we just read today. Uh, Luke 18, beginning in verse 11. Uh, uh, Verse 9, rather, excuse me. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And then we pick it up in verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them, etc., etc. That's the context in which we find the text today. Coming immediately after Jesus highlights the fact that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So pick it up in verse 15. It says, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. It was not uncommon for people to bring their children to a rabbi to ask him to bless their children. So it seems that's what people are doing here, bringing their children to Jesus saying, would you bless my child? Not even terribly different from what we did at the beginning of our service today, right? Asking us to pray for and to, for the Lord to bless the children that he has added to our church. Uh, Pick it up in verse 15 in the middle. It says, and when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Now, 
This is similar to what we looked at last week when the disciples rebuked the blind beggar from crying out to Jesus, right? In fact, if your Bible is anything like mine and contains cross-references, you'll likely notice there's a footnote or a cross-reference of some sort that links verse 15 to verse 39. Uh, Cross-references weren't in the original Greek, but it's a helpful add-on by the editors of our Bibles to show us this is not uncommon. Uh, we've seen this happen. There's a pattern here. And it's added on by the editors of our Bibles to show that this is what the disciples do. We, we will see this later. They were loyal to Jesus. They wanted to see that he wouldn't be enc- uh, encumbered or disturbed, which brings us to point number one. Jesus loves children, and so should you. Jesus loves children, and so should you. Because after the disciples rebuked the kids or rebuked the parents for bringing the kids, verse 16 says, but Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me. Jesus is always kind and tender and loving to children. What we're seeing take place here is similar to what we saw last week, right? The disciples ensuring Jesus wouldn't be disturbed. Last week it was a blind beggar, and this week it's children. But here's the difference. If you look in verse 40, it says this, and Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Uh, last week in verse 40, Luke used the word kelio which means command or to give orders. And so uh, Jesus was commanding, hey, bring him here. It was a stern, like, no, no, stop. Bring him here. Bring him right here, right now. This week, however, it's different in both the original Greek and in our English Bibles because in verse 16, it says that Jesus called them to him, called them to him. The Greek word translated called in verse 16 is proskaleo, which means invite. It's not a stern rebuke, but Luke recalls it as an invitation, uh, uh, almost a gentle change of direction. Verse 16, but Jesus called them to him, saying, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Again, it shows that Jesus is always kind, always tender, always loving when it comes to children. You might remember earlier in our series, if you were with us, as we went through the Gospel of Luke, In chapter 9, it's in your outline, verse 46, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And so Jesus is not like, oh, for crying out loud, I'm surrounded by morons. Come here. Give me the kid. Look, here's what you have to No, it's a gentle calling of the child to him saying, hey, you need to receive. Whoever receives this child uh, in my name receives me. He's always gentle, always loving, always tender when it comes to his treatment of and speaking of Children, which is a segue to the next subpoint in your outline, letter B. The Bible always presents children in a positive light. It's a very common uh, verse among Christians that we refer to when we think of children. Psalm 127 and verse 3, which says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Uh, reward, that's a positive, that's a, a positive word. Children in and of themselves are consistently and roundly presented in a positive light throughout the Scriptures. And furthermore, letter C, in the Bible, 
people are always glad and grateful to have children. Uh, We see that from the first child that was born in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, or a man-child, I think as the old King James says, with the help of the Lord. You don't hear uh, Eve being like, gosh, first the fall and now this, I got a kid. Like, no, she's excited that with God's help she has received a child. Look what I have. Look what the Lord has given me. Uh, Later on in Genesis chapter 33 and verse 5, when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, well, these are my kids. There they go where I go. Kind of leading around a pack of... Like, no, Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. That's who these are. These are the children whom I have graciously received from the Lord. And so I just want to pause and just stop and say, what about you? What about you? Generally speaking, when you speak of kids, your kids, others' kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, neighbor kids, do you speak of them negatively or positively? Generally speaking, if you look back on this week, when you look at the majority of your speech, your attitude regarding whatever kids are in your life for whatever reason, do you reflect a biblical worldview of kids that they are a blessing, that they're a good thing, they're a a plus, they're a positive? Do you reflect a biblical worldview of kids or do you reflect an unbiblical, more popular worldview of kids? They're annoying, they're driving me crazy, they're bringing me down. Maybe you're beyond child-raising years. You say, I I raised my kids. I did my time. You talk about it like a prison term. I did my time. Uh, Now I want my kids, quite frankly, to do their time while I enjoy my time in my house without any kids because this is my time. What about you? Generally speaking, when when you think of kids, the way you treat your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews... Do you think of them and speak of them in a positive way? Because you need to know that the Word of God always speaks of children positively. Jesus is always kind and tender and loving to children. The Bible always presents children in a positive light. People are always glad and grateful to have them. And here's something else, letter D. Children are in God's special care. Children are in God's special care. Look again at Luke 18 and verse 16. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. But look at this. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. That's a very powerful statement. That's a very powerful statement statement. For years, I thought Jesus was just saying, there's going to be kids in the kingdom. Yeah, we got them too. Like, like, we got all types of people. We got old, young, big, small kids, adults. Sure, we got them. We, got, we have all, all the people. But if you really dig into what Jesus says, it's really much more than that. The Greek word used there uh, when we read the word for to such, that term, for to such, Uh, It means such as this or such as these. It's toyatos. 
In other words, it means anyone like this. Anyone like this. Let me give you an example. It's used commonly throughout the New Testament, but I'll just give you one example to hopefully help you understand what I see here. So keep your finger in Luke 18 and turn over to uh, the Gospel of John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. In verse 23, he says this, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Again, verse 23, For the Father is seeking, here's that word again, such people to worship Him. The Father is seeking such people to worship Him. The Father is seeking anyone like this to worship Him. It's not that, yeah, there's going to be people who worship Him in spirit and truth, and there's going to be people who don't. No. These are the people who God is going to accept their worship. The Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Anyone like this is who the Father is seeking to worship Him. Anyone. And so in our text today in Luke 18 and verse 16, when Jesus says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God... The way that's to be understood is not just, yeah, we're going to have kids up there. No, he's referring to the people who are being brought to him. They're bringing infants to him. He's referring to infants, to all who are unable, like infants, to believe savingly because they don't have the ability to consciously resist the Lord. They can't consciously resist his law. They can't consciously resist his will. To such belongs the kingdom of God. You say, we, we say that we're born sinners. Like, we joke around, you know, vipers and diapers. Like, yeah, we, they, they are sinners. Children are sinners. You are, people are born with sin. A hundred percent. Everyone is born a sinner. That's why David says in Psalm 51 that he was what? Brought forth in iniquity, conceived in sin. Later on in, in Psalm 58, he says that the wicked are estranged from the womb from God. That everyone is born a sinner. Everyone inherits the guilt of of Adam's sin. That's why we die. And if I may say something ever so gently on a day when it's perhaps harder to hear than others, that's why children die. Uh, Because they inherit the wages of sin, which is death, as Romans 6.23 tells us. That's why all living things die. Nobody is morally neutral. But even though a child isn't morally neutral, if I could put it this way, their sin has not developed, if you will, to such a degree where they are consciously acting on it, consciously choosing wrong over right, consciously choosing selfishness over godliness. Therefore, even though our hearts just break, when children suffer the effects of sin because all who are sinful suffer disease and pain and suffering and death, we see from God's Word that children are in God's special care. They're in a special category. Now, you might be grateful for my change of tone, my demeanor, my desire to treat this difficult topic with gentleness on this day. But if you're a good student of the Bible, you might be better served with biblical precedence. So if I may, I'd like to show you, not my face, 
or my voice, but I'd like to show you a passage from God's Word that I think is often overlooked when it comes to this difficult topic. It's very common to go to 2 Samuel 12 when David and Bathsheba's child dies and David confidently states that he'll one day see him again, right? I think that's a great text when it comes to this difficult topic, uh, showing that he had confidence that he was going to go to heaven and he would see his infant child. But I found that some people, as I've worked with different people and have counseled with them and have spoken with them during these difficult times, some people wonder if that's like, well, maybe that's just a one-off situation, right? Like, he's David, for crying out loud. I've had other people say, uh, uh, was David even in his right mind when he said that this isn't exactly the high point of his life in ministry? It's a fair question. Uh, But that is a good text. But I want to show you a different text where I prefer to take people to show them this special category that I believe that God has placed children in. And so if you would, please turn or scroll in your Bible app to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1. And I'll quickly give you a little bit of background as to what we're seeing here in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1. And so God has commanded His people uh, to go and to take over this land. And the people are like, we don't know if we really want to do that. Like, let's send spies to check it out. And so they send in spies to check it out. And they come back and God tells them, all right, you ready? Go in. And they're like, we don't want to go in there because the people are really tall and there's a lot of them. And we're just a small little number and small in height of a bunch of Jews. And God had just taken people. Keep this in mind. This comes like they can remember being in Egypt, right? They, they had walked through the Red Sea. God rescued them from the, the, the Pharaoh, the empire of Egypt, walked them through the wilderness, walked them through the Red Sea on dry land. Then, I'm not finished, caused the Red Sea to come in upon their enemies, and he saved them. You would think at this point, they would be like, hey, if God says jump, we're going to say how high? Like he's proven himself again and again and again. But these people are just like you and me. They're just like you and me. They're not any more moronic or forgetful than you and I are when we see God prove himself to be faithful over and over and over and over again. And we go, ah, but I don't know about this time. I'm really worried. I know he's been sovereign up until now, but it seems to be flying out of control. I know he's provided grace and help in time of need, but this is different. But this is different. And so here, even though God has commanded them to go and saying, I'll be with you, I'm for you, you will not be harmed, you will have victory, they're like, yeah, we're not going to do that thing. And so in verse, beginning in verse 34, Moses is telling the people, this is what's going to happen because you have rebelled. Uh, You say you're scared, but ultimately you're just disobeying, you're not doing what God has said. So look, pick it up in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 34. Moses said this, and the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him and his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, Moses says, verse 37, the Lord was angry on your account. And said, you also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And so remember what they were saying beforehand. They're saying, we're, if, you, if we go in there, we're going to die. They're going to just attack us. They're going to prey upon us. We're going to die. Look at what God says in Deuteronomy 1 and verse 39. 
And as for your what? And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today what? Have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Do you see what God did? God looked upon children and specifically said, even though I'm punishing every single solitary one of you who rebelled and refused to go in, your children, not just because they're children, but your children because they have no knowledge of good and evil, your children, even though they're born sinners, but they have no knowledge of good and evil, guess what? They're going to get to go in. And so we have this biblical precedent of not just a one-off situation with one person like David. That's a great example. But here's another example where God shows special grace that he gives to children solely for the purpose and solely for the reason of the fact that they cannot tell right from wrong. Children are in God's special, special care. And it's difficult to talk about these things, right? Because we're like, wow, one of the hardest things in life is to lose a child. One of the hardest things in life is to grieve the passing of a child. But, oh, praise God, they're in his special care. But, oh, I wish they were in my care. But, oh, praise God, he's taking care of them. But, oh, how I wish he wasn't taking care of them right now in heaven. And so I just want to pause and say, if this is something you are suffering from or are grieving, either in the recent past or the distant past, uh, I have prayed for you. I am praying for you. I hope this serves as an encouragement to you. I love you. But quite frankly, my love is worth what you paid for it. I hope you really today sense God's love for you, God's care for you, that you would say along with the hymn writer, oh yes, he cares, I know he cares, his heart is touched with my grief. And knowing that you can cast all your cares upon him because he truly, genuinely, specifically and personally cares for you. I want to just pause and pray for a moment because this is a really difficult situation to deal with on this particular day. People, people carry in a lot of difficult burdens on this particular, this particular holiday. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Lord, we're encouraged from your word and the examples that we see uh, you setting of holding children in your special care. Lord, in a category of themselves that you show your mercy and your grace to the youngest among us who are no longer among us. And we know with confidence they are with 
you. And so we thank you for that, and yet we confess that as we thank you for that, we're still upset about that. Uh, We're glad they're with you, but in our flesh and in our hearts and our minds, we, we wish they were with us. And Lord, we know you understand that. Uh, We know uh, that you know us better than we know ourselves. And so would you, oh God, would you comfort us in the way that we need to be comforted? Would you give us peace? Would you encourage our hearts on this difficult day with this difficult topic? Would you draw us close to you? Uh, Lord, would you in your own way, would you cause us to even even tangibly feel your comfort and your peace at this time, that we might feel your nearness, knowing that the nearness of God is our ultimate good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus loves children, and so should you. Uh, The text we are looking at today is about children, but it's not only about children. The passage ends with Jesus using children actually as an illustration, uh, as an example, as a picture of what everyone needs to be in order to receive the kingdom of God. So back in Luke 18, look at verse 17, where Jesus says, truly, like, but seriously, pay attention, truly, I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Which brings us to point number two. You'll never get to heaven without childlike faith on earth. You'll never get to heaven without childlike faith on earth. I mean, you don't have to be part of our church for long to know that we talk a lot about the importance of growing in our walk with the Lord, maturing in our faith. We have, uh, and just like we have growth charts for babies showing approximately how much they should weigh, what activities by this, uh, by this age they should be able to do this. Why do we do that? It's not because the babies are in competition with one another, although sometimes when you talk to moms, they act like they're in competition with one another. But it's, it's not because of that. It's to measure health. It's to measure wellness. Generally speaking, on the whole and in the main, the baby should be able to do these things by about this time. And babies are little and cute and tiny and sweet, and they should not always be little. They should grow. Uh, It's the same when it comes to our walks with the Lord. However, while the Bible has much to say about putting off childish ways, right? Paul says in what is it? First uh, Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, but I'm no longer a child, so I put those things off. That's what he tells us. The Bible says a lot about putting off childish ways. Christ simultaneously calls us to be childlike when it comes to our faith. Not childish, but childlike. In fact, of all the names believers are referred to throughout the Bible, there is none more frequently used than the term children. And I don't think that's unintentional. As, as much as God wants us to grow in our faith, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, He still wants you to call Him Daddy. And you say, that feels weird. I don't know if I can do that. You might be too grown up for your own spiritual good. Uh, the title of the sermon is, You Must Be This Small to Ride. Uh, see, unlike uh, different aspects in our lives, when it's, whether it's an amusement park or anything else, like I can't wait till I get to be that so that I can ride. I can't wait till I can be older. Can I be stronger? 
Jesus looks at us and says, nobody who looks at themselves as much of anything is going to come to me in faith. If you don't have the faith of a child, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Not less likely to enter the kingdom of God. Not it'll be harder or it'll take longer, it'll cost more. He specifically says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Full stop. And so I want to spend the rest of our time looking at four reasons grown-up faith just won't do. In your outline, four reasons grown-up faith just won't do. Here's the first reason. You'll try to clean yourself up instead of coming to God messy. You'll try to clean yourself up instead of coming to God messy. Uh, I, uh, my children are between the ages of 9 and 19 now, but I remember when they were uh, younger, when I would come home, they would oftentimes say, like, oh, Daddy, and when they were little, they would especially, particularly Silas, he's just kind of a nut. And he would just rush me. And it didn't matter in what state he was in, dressed, undressed, just playing in the mud, just got out of the bath. It didn't matter. He was just going to run up to me. And it didn't matter what he was going to put on me as he rushed up to me. He was like, Daddy. And he would just kind of charge at me. And ready or not, here he comes. And if he was clean, great. If he wasn't, buckle up. But he's coming. He did not care at all. Never thought to himself, uh, am, I, am I right? Dad's in dress clothes. Should I, I should probably stop. Said Silas, Never. He just rushed. Why? Because he saw his dad and was excited to see him. Grown-ups don't do that. Grown-ups, I would love to say my wife does that. She, 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 she does not. She, it's, it's, if she is dirty, if she's messy, if she's just been working in the yard or just been doing something, she doesn't just, Peter, and just run towards me. It would be kind of cool if she did, but she does not. Why? Because she thinks like a grown woman. Right? I shouldn't come now. He's, well, well, the way I am and the way he is, I shouldn't, I should wait. That's not the kind of person that comes to the Lord. The person who says, I shouldn't, you know what? I don't, I should clean up my act first before I approach. I'm not, thank you. I should, I should get this part of my life in order. I should clean up this area of my life before I come to God. That's grown up faith. And you know what? Those people don't come to the Lord. Because they always find a reason in their life why they're not going to come to the Lord. Oh, I can't. I have to clean this up. I have to fix this. They always find something that needs fixing. They don't just rush to the Lord and say, have mercy on me. Uh, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Just have mercy on me and just rush up to God. Because they don't care if they're messy. Kids don't care if they're messy. And we will always resist going to the Lord if we think that we are too messy for him. If we're too conscious of how we look and how our lives are in order, we'll never go to the Lord. That's one of the reasons grown-up faith just won't do. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, it's in your outline, Luke chapter 5, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The more conscious you are of how do I look, how am I acting, how do I got to, you're never going to go to the Lord with grown-up faith because you'll always try to clean yourself up and you'll always find an area that needs cleaned up and it keeps you back from him. Here's number two. You won't come to God over and over again with the biggest things on your heart. Uh, earlier in Luke chapter 18, verses 7 and 8, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them 
speedily. And so he's like saying, look, remember, God is better than the unrighteous judge. He's better. You can cry out to him over and over again and trust that he will answer in his time. And if he's not answering, it's because he's not in your best interest. But you can go to him over and over and over again. That's how kids go to parents. They go over and over and over and over and over again. Um, I mean, all my kids do that, but in particular, my daughter, Emma, she'll ask for something and say, Daddy, can we do this? And I'll say, no, we can't do that. She'll say, well, what about this? I'll say, no, we can't do that. And she says, can we do it maybe later today? I'll say, no, we can't do it later today. She says, what about tomorrow? She's like, when can I ask you next? When can I pick this back up? How long does that no last for? And I'm like, okay, (laughs) give me a minute. But she's always, she's like, well, can we do, like, we have certain TV shows that we watch together, just Daddy Emma time. We go on Daddy Emma dates, and so she'll, she'll come up, and she'll be like, can we watch the show tonight? I'll say, no, we can't. And she'll, I, it's like, I got something to do. And she'll say, well, what about the other show? And I'm like, no, it's not about the show. I got something to do. <laughs> and then she's like, can we go out on a date? And I'm like, what? Okay. This is, something's not, but she's just like, I'm going for it. I know you like this. I know I like this. And so what, you're going to say yes eventually, because you always do, eventually. At some point, it may not be, no, but then she's, okay, she tries to, the next day is a new day. Nowhere in her mind is like, I asked a lot yesterday. She's like, no, 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 no. Yesterday is dead to me. This is a new day. I can ask all over again. I'm going for yes again. Like it's, we could get a yes. But grown-ups don't do that. We don't do that. I don't do that. I'm very conscious of how should I ask, especially when it comes to people in authority, Right? Like adults wonder about timing. They strategize. They ask for things like when it's right. They look at their boss's calendar and wonder, oh, I wonder if she had a rough morning. Maybe I shouldn't ask. Maybe he had a good lunch. It's now time to ask. We, we think strategically. Not so with children. Emma's just like, I'm asking because I'm awake. Uh, I can do this. They want something they ask. Why are they asking now? Because they want something now. Childlike faith is what it takes to enter the kingdom of God Because you'll only come to Christ because you realize you need him now. Like, I don't know if it's going to work out. Maybe one day I'll come to Jesus. Maybe when I'm a little older, I'll do the Jesus thing. Maybe I'll join a church when I'm a little more settled down and I have a spouse and kids. It's the right thing to do. You know when that person comes to Jesus? Never. They're too grown up, too strategized. It's the person who is childlike in their faith and says, I'm believing now. I'm coming to Jesus now because I need him now. I don't care what I look like and I don't care how many times I need to ask for grace. Which brings us to our next point, number three, another reason why grown-up faith won't do. You won't come to God confidently just because he can do it. It's similar to our last one, but uh, there's, I remember <laughs> times when my kids were little, I was like, all right, it's, it's time for bed, which as a side note, tends to shock them because <laughs> they thought we just sleep occasionally. They didn't, it's like, no, on every day that ends in a Y, we're going we're gonna to go to sleep. Like, it's part of, part of life. We're going to sleep. <gasps> oh, no, yes, yes, we're going to sleep again. I know it caught you by surprise. And so I would tell them it's time to go to bed. And every once in a while, um, they would, like, kind of throw me a curveball and ask if we could do something completely not going to bed. Uh, Jonathan in particular would be like, hey, Dad, can we get Menchies? That's frozen yogurt. Can we get Menchies? And I'm like, all right, what about me saying it's time to go to bed meant maybe we should get in the car and get frozen yogurt? We, it's, but he's like, I'm like, can we get Menchies? I'm like, no, we can't get Menchies. We have to go to bed. 
And he, he, he can take disappointment well, but he always had this look of like, I, I took a shot. All right, I take a shot. I go for no. Like, you have means. You have a car. You have money. You love me. Sometimes we go to Menchie's. I'm, I'm hoping. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm hoping that maybe you'll say yes. You know why he, why he does that or why he did that? Because he knows you can do this. Like, you could totally rearrange our plans and take us to Menchie's right now. You can. Maybe you will. I'm not going to. All right, try again next time. He is talking to me. He's not thinking, what, what is the time? What did that just say? We should go to bed. I probably shouldn't ask. Nope, he's just like, you can do it. I'm asking. You're my dad. You've done this before. Adults don't do that. The fact that God can do something is not enough to draw us to him with adult and adult mentalities. Like, yeah, he can do that, but I don't know if he wants to do it. I'm praying for a bigger home. Like, I really think that we're kind of crammed in our bigger home, and I'm praying for a bigger home. There are people starving in other parts of the world. I probably shouldn't. What is that going to, how does that, that's a bad look. It's a bad look. I'm not going to ask God. That's how adults think. But kids are like, can we do that thing now? What made you think we could do it now? I'd like to do it now. No, we can't. All right. You can ask again? Yep, tomorrow, probably. Like, whenever I feel like. That's how kids think. And that's the childlike faith that God actually wants us to have with him. That we would just say, Lord, I, I, you know why I'm asking for this? Because you can do it. I'm asking you for this now because you can do it. I'm asking you to save me because I know you can do it. I'm asking you to save him because I know you can do it. I'm asking you to help me in this situation because I know you can do it. I'm asking you for a bigger home or a better job or for the things that I, I think I need because I know you can do it. What if that's not what God wants for you? Eh, uh, fine, he'll work, he'll say no. But I'm going to ask. That's childlike faith. Adult, grown-up thinking doesn't do that. We hedge our bets. We think about, well, what? I don't know if this is really... But if you have grown-up faith, you won't come to God confidently just because he can do it. That's not... You're like, he can do it, but I don't know if I should. Hebrews 4, 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can do this confidently. The psalmist in Psalm 56 says, this I know that God is for me. And my kids know I'm for them. I might give them froyo. It's time to ask. And they do. And finally, the last reason why grown-up faith just won't do is you'll never surrender everything to him. If you have grown up, like a grown up mentality, not a kid's mentality, you'll never surrender everything to him. You're like, well, I'm responsible for some, and he's responsible for some, and I need to hold this back, but I'll give him this. He would appreciate it. This is a good look, but I'm going to be in control over this. Do you ever notice how soundly kids sleep? I didn't say they stay asleep, but when they fall asleep, see how soundly, like you just look at their faces and it's just like, it, it occurs to me often, he doesn't have a care in the world. Even my, my, my two youngest are nine and 13 right now. They're not itty bitty, but you look at them, you're like, there's so much not on their mind. 
that make sense? Like there's just so much they're not, they're not thinking about. Like I've never talked to Silas before he goes to bed and he's like, Dad, are we going to raise the debt ceiling? I'm not, how does this work? I'm, I'm, uh, all right, let me know tomorrow. Like he's just not, that's not even a thing. He doesn't know what it is. Unaware. And he goes to sleep. Do you know why they sleep so peacefully? Part of it is because they're unaware, and the other part of it is they know that I'm on it. Mom's on it. Dad's on it. They don't know, and if they don't know, they trust that mom and dad do. They'll take, they're, they're on it. They'll take care of it. Just blind trust. They're on it. Property taxes go up. They're on it. If life happens, they're on it. I'm going to go to sleep because they can. That's childlike faith. That's not naivete. That's childlike faith of just knowing daddy and mommy are on it so I can go to sleep because I'm nine. Adults don't think like that. We lose sleep. It's our childlike faith that helps us to just rest in Christ, to rest in the Lord, to say, I'm concerned about many things, but you know, I know you're on it. I, 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 there's things I have to do, but I can only do so much, and I know you're on it. My head can hit the pillow knowing that you neither sleep nor slumber. You're on it. I can rest in you. Grown-up faith doesn't do that. Childlike faith does that. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. It's easy for Silas to not lean on his own understanding about the debt ceiling. He has none. He does not lean on his own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Deep down inside, Silas knows, mom and dad will keep me on the straight and like, they'll keep me away from the ditches. I'm going to go to sleep. The very next verse is be not wise in your own eyes. Childlike faith, they're not wise in their own eyes. They're completely trusting in their parents, just like God would have us completely trust in our heavenly Father. You'll never do that with grown-up faith. You'll only do that with childlike faith. What about you? If you're a Christian today, I hope you're growing in your faith. I really do. I hope you understand the Scriptures better today than you did a year ago. I hope you have more of it hidden in your heart that you might not sin against the Lord. I hope you're serving and giving and being sacrificial with your, with your life as unto the Lord. I hope you're growing, but don't outgrow your need to come to Jesus messy repeatedly, confidently, and surrendering all your cares to Him because He cares for you. That's what children do to their parents. That's what God's children do to their Father in heaven. Is that you? If you're a believer, is that you? Or you're like, I used to trust the Lord more, but now I'm, on, I'm older and I'm wiser and I'm more in charge of things. I have more responsibilities. All of that may be true. 
But can you trust in the Lord like a kid trusts in his dad, like a kid trusts in his mom? Because that's what God is calling us to do. If you're not a Christian today, hey, what about, what about you? Is God today calling you to come to Him as the needy, messy child that you truly are? Is God calling you to repent of your self-sufficiency, which stands in the way, stands between you and your Savior? Just like Jesus invited the little children to come to Him, called them to His side. Friend, I think He might be doing the same with you today, right Now, you have the opportunity to decide today to trust in the Lord with all your heart, to not lean on your own understanding, to acknowledge Him in all your ways and to watch Him work in your life to give you a new purpose, a new worldview rooted in His Word, a new vision for your life instead of self-sufficiency which will block you from entering the kingdom of God now and forever. What about you? Is God calling you today to come to Him like a child, with childlike faith, to trust in Him? Hear the word of our Lord today who said, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. May that not be said of you. Father in heaven, we, as your children, come before you Uh, needy, messy, uh, in need of your grace each and every day, in need of a cleanup each and every day, in need of being helped each and every day. And we're grateful, Lord, that you don't tire of us coming to you. We're grateful, Lord, that we can come to you as we are. Lord, would you help us come to you as we are? Would you remind us that we are just messy children? And renew within us who know you a childlike faith as we seek to grow in faith with you. And Lord, would you grant childlike faith to someone today, to people today who know you not? Would you show them uh, their need for you, that they would come running to you because you care for them, love them, and sent your son to die for them that they might have eternal life? Grant saving childlike faith today for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.